0: Good evening and welcome to our evening service. Again, we have a privilege of gathering together around the Word of God. Good to have you with us here this evening. Good to have some joining us on Zoom. Again, we welcome Michael with us this evening. He's going to come now and lead us in prayer and the scripture reading as well.
1: Thank you. Welcome. I'm going to read Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 to 14. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 to 14. Galatians, uh, many people believe this is Paul's first letter. And a lot of people believe it was written right before Romans, which uh, goes through the same themes, uh, more or less, but uh, elaborates a little bit more. But Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law, are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not, and all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come unto the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. It's a lot, but let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you give us your word, and we thank you, Lord, it's the truth. Please give us the hearts to want to know what it says, because it is very precious to us. We thank you, Lord, that we have our church. We ask, O oh Lord, that we you would bless it by keeping, sustaining it, and we need a pastor at this point. In time, and we thank you, Lord, that for all the speakers that have come, um, but we we want to make sure that the word is taught, and it's the centerpiece of our church, and that's what we're doing now. But we thank you, Lord, that you do have men who come and volunteer their time to come up here and and share their witness to what the gospel is saying. We know that the gospel is the power of god unto salvation we know that the gospel is what we need to hear for us to be sanctified we know that your word is exactly what we should be focusing our attention on so we pray lord that the missionaries would go out there and bring your word to the ends of the world that we would go to our neighbors and talk about it and that we would have a heart for those that we might not even know, like maybe people that are downtown, the poor. Help us, Lord, to have a heart to help them. There are jails where there are prisoners. Please, Lord, send somebody to talk to them, in the nursing homes and the soldiers all around the world. We pray, Father, that your word goes out. We know how your word, through the Spirit, and save a soul. We know it changes us. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And we pray for it, that it goes out to the world. Help us to be servants for you, to keep that duty as the center of our attention. Help us, Lord, to to do what is right in your eyes, Lord. We know that when we read the Bible, we see that Jesus is there. And we know that learning about who he is, is how we are saved. So we thank you for this and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Again, Michael, welcome. The Lord bless as you open the word to us tonight.
1: Well, well, let's pray. Dear Lord, help me, Lord, to stick to what you have intended for me to say and help me to season it with love. And through your Spirit, may we learn a little bit more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, Galatians, interesting letter. They're all interesting, but this one's interesting in a, in a way. It's very—they're all unique. Every letter is unique. The Galatians, um, like I said, was probably one of the, the first letter, and it was probably written in 50 to 50 A.D. It was written shortly after the Jewish Council, which is recorded in Acts chapter 15. Like I said, it's a bit different than the other ones. Uh, Paul usually has a, a, a greeting. He always has a greeting. This one's different. If you turn to the first chapter in Galatians, if you want. Uh, a greeting. It includes this. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ. And, and, and that point right there has been put there for a reason, He's an apostle, and what that means is that he has received direct revelation from God. Uh, Not of men, not by men, it wasn't a man's idea, it wasn't second hand, it was directly from Jesus Christ, and that's what makes him an apostle. So Paul is stating that he received this in verse 12, direct revelation from Jesus, and that's why you should be listening to him and that's why you should trust him, and that's what makes him an apostle. Paul has the authority because he's received the gospel straight from God, right? And you know that story on the road to Damascus. He meets Jesus and and so on, right? And we can't say that for ourselves. We don't have direct revelation from Jesus. We take it from a man. So we have to read Paul's letter. It's It's by God we're saved, but it's it's got to go through a man, right? At least one man. Um, So, the first two chapters of Galatians, you'll see Paul trying to establish his authority or reestablish his authority with the Galatians. I have the authority because I have direct revelation from God. I am an apostle. And he makes that case for the first two chapters. And you'll know you'll notice if you hear any messages on Galatians you'll always hear somebody say that he's incredibly angry and you can't read you know if you're reading you can't read that you can't pick that up but when you get really familiar with the letter yeah he's angry he's really upset and is he out of control or anything no it's 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 for a very good reason he's upset now why is he upset well, I used to shovel my driveway. I have a snowblower now. I'm not sure how many people have shoveled a driveway. But have you had this experience where you get to almost the very end and the snow pile goes by? Right? And now you got twice as much when you started. Well, that's kind of what happened to Paul here. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from the... Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. I'm astonished. Paul was with the Galatians when they first believed. He's the one that told them the truth. He's the one that came with the gospel. And they were grateful for it. They were celebrating. They were they, they became Christians that day. And... and And Paul goes away, and then the snow plow goes by. These men come along and distort the truth, and they add things in, and they change it. And Paul is angry with them, but he directs his his attention to the church. How, How could you be so foolish, right? This group of men are telling another gospel. Now, who is this group of men? Do you know who this group of men is? It's very interesting. You can find this, this group in Acts chapter 15. And in fact, if you want, we can turn there for a second. Acts chapter 15, and you look at the very first verse. This is the Jerusalem Jerusalem council. Where everyone got together to figure out. Well, let's get all on the same page. Let's figure out what's going on. These are all people from the church getting together and um, coming from like uh, Antioch and, and and all the places in Galatia and in and the, in the, uh, the Gentile areas. But so, verse one. There's a certain group in this in this council that. Well, I'll read it. A certain men. A certain men which came down from Judea, taught the brethren and said, they, they went to the Gentile areas and taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. And not be saved. A little bit more about uh, this group. In verse 5. This group there rose up a certain of sect of the Pharisees, so we're getting a little more they're from, they're from the temple, the Pharisees, but which believed, uh, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. They, they believed. They were believers, or professed anyway. We could say that, right? but they're from within the church we see the first false religion i mean we see lots of religions coming from the world but the first false religion for the church is coming from within the church it's a group of men and not all the church it's a group of them in the church that are and they're professing to be christians and they're they're teaching that something outside of the promise Now, the first time I spoke, or not the first time, sorry, the last time I spoke, uh, I spoke about a tree and its fruit. You remember that, and that idea there that, you know, if you're a Christian, you show forth fruit. Well, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about this, and he's warning people about this. Beware of false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. Matthew 7, verse 16 you will know them by their fruit, do you find grapes growing in thorn bushes or figs growing from thistles? You know you'll know them by their fruit so that's how Paul knows who they are, right. Paul knew the ramifications of this false teaching, and he knew what was going to happen and the actions that they were uh what they were doing and how it was going to hurt the church and in acts 20 Luke records this Paul is talking to the elders in Ephesus in Luke's and uh, acts chapter 20 and he says this for i know this that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you not sparing the flock also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them people of your own selves will arise and speak perverse things. I looked up this word perverse well and, and first of all, the reason why they do this is to draw men away from the church. That's the point. that's what they're doing. This word perverse things um, in the King James Version. Uh, It means to distort. So they're speaking perverse things to distort, to mislead, to turn aside, corrupt, perverse, and I quote from the Strong's Concordance, plot against the saving purposes and plans of God. That's what they're doing. And they're men from within the church. So Paul is warning them about this. So Turning back to the Galatians, this is a danger. And just to get a little more of an idea, specifically, what was the danger, what was happening to the Galatians? And I'll give you a a quick idea here. These men from from Jerusalem, right? And they're professing to be Christians. And they say to the Galatians and, and other churches... But here in the Galatians, to the Galatians, it's okay to believe in Jesus. It's okay. It's okay to believe he died for you. But don't you know, to be saved, you have to follow the law as well? And they would point to the Old Testament. They would point to Abraham, and and they would say that he was circumcised, and he was commanded by God to do that. And they would go on to say something like, If you're not circumcised, then how are you ever going to enter into the temple? Right? How are you going to do the sacrifices? You know, and then you got to do the food, the laws, and you got to go, I think, you got to go to Jerusalem three times a year and piling it on and on. That's the law, right? And Paul is astonished because the Galatians are believing this. Paul is stunned. And he calls them foolish. And he asks the question, why would you want to go to the law to be justified? Are you, and this is my words, are you crazy? He uses something a little more harsh than that. Are you crazy? What that's crazy. It's not logical. It's 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 not it's ludicrous. Do you know what the law demands? And Paul would make this argument that when I first came to you. You believed and you were saved. Was it through the Spirit? Was it through the hearing of faith that you were saved? But now, you believe that you are saved through the works of the law. How could you be so foolish? It's kind of like Paul led them to the North Pole. Right? And he said, there you go. You're You're here now. And they wanted to Contribute some way, but the fact is, is that once you're at the North Pole, you can't get any more there, right? And they start taking steps, but what's happening? They're only stepping away, and that's what the Galatians are doing. They're stepping away. They're walking away from the promise. What does the Old Testament say? Is the Jew, the Jews here, the Judaizers right? When they talk about circumcision and how Abraham was circumcised? Well, Galatians brings that up in chapter 3, verse 5. He asked this question When you received the Spirit, were you saved and were saved? Did you do it by the works of the law? Or did you do it by the hearing of faith? Remember that time I was with you the first time when we were together and we were celebrating and you were jumping up and down because you were saved? Did that happen because you heard it and believed, or was it because you had a series of works that made you acceptable before God? What about the thief on the cross? I' just bring that up right now. How many works did he ever do but that he was saved, right? Did you do something to receive the spirit and so let's look at Abraham what what happened to him? How was he saved? Well, Genesis fifteen, God makes Abraham a promise, right? He says, You're gonna be the father of many nations. Now, Abraham's eighty or he's old. His wife is very old too. Um it's that's a crazy thing to say. Think, no, we're not having any more children. we that's 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 long gone. But you know what was amazing? Abraham believed God that God would send a son. He believed him. And it, in verse 6 here, chapter 3, even as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. He also makes the point, if you are the children of Abraham, you come by faith. And when... In verse 6 of chapter 15, God promised him, Abraham believed him, and God declared Abraham righteous. That's one point. Now the second point is in chapter 3, verse 8 of Galatians, Paul, how could you be saved through the law, through the flesh? And he says this, uh, it had to be the promise. Because, okay, now he's talking to the Galatians here. Paul is talking to the Galatians. How could you be saved through the law? It had to be through the promise. If it's Abraham's offspring that are saved, how could you think that you're saved? You're from another nation, right? Right? But see, God also promised that to Abraham that many nations would be saved. Now, how is that possible if it's through the law? That's what Paul's argument is, right? The nations are not the physical descendants of Abraham. How is that possible? How could they be saved? Through the law. It's the people that live by faith, that are the children of Abraham. And they come from all nations. Every one of us here, I believe, there's not one person that's Jewish. We're coming from the nations. We most certainly, according to Paul's logic here, and how Abraham was promised, that through Abraham's seed, that many nations would be saved. So we could see that before Moses, before the law, God had established his covenant with his people. God's people would come through the promise for all nations, not just the Jewish nation. And the only possible way is through the promise. We don't want to try to come to God through the law. The other point would be is because we can't. We just can't. Now think about it for a second you got to do all of it, not just a bit. You can try, oh, I'm going to do my best and try to do most of it. No, it, it demands you do all of it. But we see that from the beginning that God had a plan to save us through faith. He knew this. He knew that we weren't going to be able to do it by the law. So in chapter 3, verse 14 in Galatians, the blessing of Abraham comes to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So we receive the promise, the Spirit, by faith. That's how we're saved. We're saved by believing something, and it's not by doing something. Now, this is where the Judaizers would come in and say, well why why, uh, why don't you see that you have to believe the law look at abraham was circumcised god commanded him to do that how do you explain that well when you look at the verse you read that it was a token the circumcision was a token and I didn't, I don't know. I, I always, when I was a kid, I, I went to JJ's. You guys, if you were here in Sudbury for a long time, you, it was when video games first came out. And you had to use tokens to play. And I guess you have to use tokens to get on the bus and whatnot. And that's what I think about tokens, right? So I had to look up the word, right? It means sign. Circumcision of the flesh is a sign something else. It's it's, it's also said it's a banner. It's a a remembrance. This is something to remind you. When we have communion, we do it in remembrance. I think it says it right there. Um, We don't believe communion or baptism saves us. We do believe that we are commanded to do it, but we believe it's a sign. And we don't believe that Circumcision saved Abraham Abraham either. He was saved two chapters before when he believed and was justified for that. Later on, he was told, as a sign. Now, one more thought about that. You're driving down the road, and you see the road signs, and if you're me, you're driving a big truck, and one of the things i got to watch out for is if I'm not new to the area and I see bridge ahead, I got to look at the weight restrictions, right? Because if I'm too heavy and I go over the bridge, that could be really bad. So I always make sure and look. And as you're driving, you do a quick calculation. You say, "Yeah, okay, I'm good. I'm not gonna crash through the bridge or anything. I'm not too heavy, so I'm good to go." When you get to the bridge, do you need that sign anymore? The sign's behind you. The the sign is not the danger or the thing you should be paying attention to. It's the bridge. The sign is only pointing to the bridge. And we know that circumcision is just a sign that we need the Spirit to cut the sin from our heart. And the law is simply telling us you need grace to be saved. When Jesus comes, what He does is He leaves the Spirit. And that gives us the ability to remove the sin. Right? And it's the same with the sacrifices. They could never take away sin. You read Hebrews chapter 10, and it'll go on about that. Animal sacrifices could never save you. So what good are they, right? What were they for? Well, they were for to point you to something that could, like that sign did. Pointing to you the fact that you need, you need a perfect man to come and become your sacrifice for you. And the Spirit, the promise of the Spirit is fulfilled and He's going to come to you. And it's through faith that you are saved, not the law. Chapter 3, verse 11, it is evident, and he quotes Habakkuk here, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. One other thing you have to understand is there's two covenants, if you haven't figured that out already. There's two covenants, and there's one, that ends up cursing you. And then there's one that saves you. And that one that saves you cannot fail. And the reason why, it's because it's through the Spirit. And it's not through you and your careful observation of the law. Paul is not saying, there's anything wrong with the law now? i got to be clear. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law is good the law is right, the law is just, I would go as far as to say the law is the perfect instructions to living life. In fact, I'll even go further, the law understands everything about you, including everything that you need. The law is perfect. The problem is us. We can't obey the law, and no man can Not a single person in this book is justified by the law or saved by the law. Except one. He's justified. He kept the law perfectly. Everyone has failed. In chapter 3, verse 15, there's an argument being made. Maybe like would go something like this. uh, Well, if there's two covenants, then... Doesn't the second one cancel out the first one? Or, or, you know, don't they conflict each other if there's two? Two covenants, two agreements? And it's kind of like, well, it's like making an agreement with somebody, right? And and then, like, isn't it clear in the Old Testament it's the Jewish nation that inherits the promises of Abraham? Like, that's what I thought. That's what they thought 2,000 years ago. Isn't it the... How is this possible that anybody outside the Jewish physical descendants uh, could be saved? And that's the idea back then. Well, Paul would say, no, it doesn't conflict each other. The law and the promises completely complement each other. They are in perfect agreement with each other. And the idea, again, is like this. He says it like this. Um, I'm going to pick on Carrie. Again, he say I ask Carrie. Carrie, I I need a new bathroom in my house. I need one in the basement, um, whatever I need. And I'd like the 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 shower to go here and, and the sink to go here. Do you think you can drop the plans and and then and then he does that and and I pay pay for it and and then the, well, Carrie's very good at his work, so maybe a couple days later, a couple days later. I come home and there's a beautiful sauna in my basement. And I say, Carrie, what, what did you do here? This is, I thought maybe you'd like a sauna instead. I, no, that's not what we agreed with. right? That's, that's the argument. that Paul's saying this is ludicrous. No, he made a promise and he made a covenant and he made another covenant. And the second covenant, it, it doesn't conflict. It confirms it. It confirms the promises. It substantiates the promises. And the promises fulfill the law. They complement each other. And of course, to the question, who are Abraham's offspring? Well, Paul would say, chapter 3, verse 16, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He didn't say, and to seeds, plural, as many, He said one, one seed, and to that seed, which is Christ, right? The offspring of Abraham, that one person, not every Jewish person, one person, the promise was made. The promise of God would come through one seed, one man. And that is how the rest of the world or the nations are saved. And another thing, we could never be saved through the law because we can't obey all of it. You can't just say, I'll obey the little bit here, a little bit there, and try my best. The fact is you have to obey the whole thing if you want to be righteous or justified before God. And Paul would later say to the Romans... Chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. And in contrast, well, it's the covenant of promise. The gift. Free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You don't take credit for it. You didn't work for it. It's a gift. And Paul would also want us to, and the Galatians to know, that we are all One right? We're one. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. The nations, right? We all come from different nations. But we're all one. And anybody can be a Christian, And if we are Christians we inherit the promises from Abraham. Abraham's seed inherits the promises. Is we are heirs according to the promise, Paul says. Chapter 3 verse 29, and if ye be Christ's, then ye are then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And it is by grace that saves and nothing else.
0: Well, oh, G- Galatians 5.
1: I may have to do another one on Galatians. I had to skip a whole bunch of stuff. He's got tremendous arguments for why we should believe that God and God alone saves, and it's not by works of righteousness. Uh, he, eh, uh, it, it's uh, I, I'm convinced. I don't know about you, but... Uh, so, the question was, so are we no longer under the law? Since we're no longer under the law, do we just say and do whatever we want? Is that what maybe I was sounding like a little bit earlier? Ah, we get to just say and do whatever we want, right? No, not. Uh, if you have the spirit in you, you're not going to say and do whatever you want. <laughs> If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. And if you truly have faith, we walk in the Spirit. It's just the way it goes. Maybe at first we're not walking so good, but we're walking. Doing better and better as we go. And we're not walking in the Spirit, which is every day for every one of us, if anybody's wondering. It really bothers us. We want to do better. It bothers us so much that It's what changes us, you see. Paul would say that when you walk in the Spirit, you're able to do away with the works of the flesh. The section here in Galatians 5, verse 16 to 21, he talks about the flesh. And what he means by the flesh is this this life, this world, the desires of your heart. We see... What the flesh produces here, and it's hatred, where we see that the spirit produces love, right? Flesh, wrath, strife, envying, murders, drunkenness. The spirit produces joy, not joy in yourself, maybe joy in yourself, but joy with other people are around, and you're there. You bring them joy. And it's you're always wanting peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and I mean if you claim to be a Christian, these are the the attributes of the spirit. so well, I try to teach my kids the fruit of the spirit, and uh this one word long-suffering what does it mean? It means a uh, slow Slowness and avenging wrongs, long-suffering. Slowness and avenging wrongs. Now, if you're a parent and you have kids, there's a lot of situations where you're trying to slow down your anger and not be too harsh, right? Now my kids love this teaching here too as well, because I'm the one usually avenging wrongs, right? But you notice in our day-to-day lives, and when we go out to the world, And uh, we interact with people. I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm on the fence about this. I feel like i got to avenge my wrongs. But I'm reminded, it's not the fruit of the Spirit. It's not patient. It's not long-suffering. And thanks to God's Word, I can come here and see what's right. And it helps me fight against the sin that I'm tempted in, in this world, right? Again, the promise never says you're free from the law. And that you can just do whatever you want. The promise when you believe, God gives you the spirit which fills you and with the des- it fills you with the desire to want to do and say the same things that God wants to do and say. That's what the Spirit does. And grace does not free us from the law, but it fulfills it. It gives us the power to do it. Our desire is to do what God wants. We are free from it. The penalty. And I noticed this list here. It's chapter 5, verse 22-26, to the fruit of the Spirit. Every one of these qualities you see here: uh, love, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance they're all relationship qualities. You know You don't have those things when you're by yourself. You have them when other people are around So when we're around other people, are we expressing the character of the spirit? Are we expressing the character of God in the good times and the bad times? You know, love in chapter 6. Love is a good feeling sometimes. You know, sometimes it means you've got to bear one another's burdens. And it means you've got to be humble and learn how to teach. And do not be weary of doing the right things. Verse 9 Do not be weary of well-doing. And look at it as an opportunity. We have an opportunity to do good unto all men. Take that opportunity, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Verse 10. So, sitting with my kids, trying to teach them would love this, right? Yeah. You know, I told them the good things too. I didn't just tell them uh that it's about working and service, you know but it's it's a good thing to love and but oh, but you cannot steer around the fact that love is sacrifice sometimes, and it's suffering sometimes it's service, but we can look at Jesus. We see, he's the perfect example of self-sacrifice, the perfect example of love. He gave up his life for us, right? This is where my daughter, my oldest daughter, pipes in and goes, okay, wait a minute, here now. So we have to sacrifice ourselves by dying? And I was like, no, 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 no. no. That That's not going to do anybody any good. No, no. That wouldn't be love either, right? Love is... Is giving up your time and your money and your energy for the people around you. You see the need. You do something. Instead of just thinking about yourself and your own concerns, you're concerned about the people around you. You're not just concerned, you do something. Galatians 5.14, For all of the law is fulfilled in one word. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And love... Nobody ever talks about this. Love is the easiest thing in the world to understand. But sometimes is the hardest thing to do. I mean, to love somebody that is lovable is one thing. But it's the ones that are not lovable, you know, those people that. That don't treat you kindly after you just help them or, you know, the ones that make your life harder when they're around. They're always asking you for something. and When you try to help them, they just end up hurting you. Right? Those people. You try to tell them the gospel and they end up hating you for it. How do you love them? Honestly, ask yourself, can you produce that love? Yourself? Through the law? Paul would say it's not by you trying to do it, it's by the law, it's by the Spirit. God is love. It's it's by looking at His promises, looking at His character. We see God loving us. We see how He is right and true. How He wants to have peace with us. And and so gentle, long-suffering, slow in avenging wrongs. That's my experience with God. I don't know about you, but if when I first became a Christian, if God would have said to me, "You better do better, or else uh, you know I'm going to double your punishment or something," and that would have never worked. It would have never worked with me. I
0: needed him to be patient
1: And I need the spirit of God, myself, to be patient and kind. I need God to be peaceable and to decide to be merciful. I need Him to obey. And, like God, I believe we have to sacrifice our lives for each other. That's what we're supposed to do. Being a Christian means it's no longer about you. It's now about everybody around you. Just read what Paul says. You know, that's what it means when we. He says we are all one in Christ. We're we all have one purpose. We're all in this together, right?
0: I'll finish with this. Um, he
1: he said it this way in Galatians chapter two verse twenty. Talking about his relationship now he has with the world. Do you feel this way as well? It's very uh, kind of abstract, so he, he uses a picture. But uh, he says in Galatians chapter two verse twenty, "I am crucified with Christ; nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That Spirit." letting it take over. I'm alive still, but you know what? I don't live for those things I used to live for. And the life I, the life which I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why he does it, right? He sees who God is and it changed him. Look what God has done for us. That's what changes you, and that's how we learn how to love, right? It's not the law.
0: The law is good, do it,
1: but you need the Spirit. Well, let's pray. Your Lord, help us by giving us the desire to rid our li- the sin in our lives. Cut that sin away from our hearts. Give us the Spirit, Lord, because we know that we are saved by faith through the Spirit. We're sanctified by the Spirit through faith. Can't do it without the Spirit. We see that Abraham believed you, Lord, and it was declared, Abraham was declared righteous. We know, Lord, when you make a promise, we can believe it. And when we do,
0: it saves us. Thank you, Lord, for
1: the law and how it confirms the promise and how it shows us who you are. And we thank you, Lord, that the law is there to help help us show us our need for grace. We know, Lord, that grace does not free us from the law, but it fulfills the law. So thank you, Father, for your word, your spirit, and in Jesus' name we pray.